Amen. As you're being seated, I invite you to find your Bible and turn to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. During the season of Advent, we're looking at the hope that belongs to those who are in Christ. Frequently during the Advent season, we, we look at some of the Hebrew prophets, and we see how hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, they prophesied the coming of Jesus. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, we see prophecies that were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus, and if they were not fulfilled in the first coming, they will be fulfilled in the second coming. Isaiah chapter 2, I'll begin reading at the first verse. The word that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. For you, you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Yesterday, Tammy and I had the great privilege of attending the funeral for Jason Myers. Some of you probably remember that Jason was a meteorologist, a 41-year-old meteorologist uh, with WBTV in Charlotte. I hope you also know that Jason's parents are very active members here at Wesley Memorial, Glenn and Susan Myers. A great, great tragedy. I'm sure you saw on the news how Jason and the pilot were up in the helicopter and their helicopter crash-landed right there along I-77, heading south out of Charlotte. The funeral yesterday was, was packed with people, but more importantly, perhaps, the funeral yesterday was packed with a great, great sense and spirit of Christian hope. At the funeral yesterday for Jason, who only lived 41 years but made a tremendous impact in his 41 years. His four children spoke. 
His wife spoke, his brother spoke, and Glenn and Susan spoke. If you haven't seen the service, it was live-streamed from WBTV out of Charlotte. I'm sure you can probably go back to their website and see it this afternoon. It'll be well worth your time watching that service. Everyone that spoke, spoke of Jason's love of people. They spoke of Jason's love of life, his love of his family, his love for meteorology, and especially his love for Jesus Christ. He built his life around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was not just an add-on to his life. Jesus Christ didn't occupy just one department of his life, but his whole life and the life of his family was built around Jesus Christ. And that's why what could have been a very, very, very sad service was a service of great hope. Now, don't misunderstand me. We grieve. We grieve as all human beings grieve. grieve. But we, according to the Apostle Paul, we grieve differently from the way the world around us grieves. The Apostle Paul says we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. In other words, we grieve, but we grieve as those who have it was a hope-filled worship service as we kept returning over and over and over again to the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. It was a hope-filled service as we remembered the goodness of God toward Jason and toward each one of us. We are now in that season of Advent. The season of Advent is a season where we focus on hope, we remember that we are a people in waiting. We are a people who live in the in-between times. We live between the first advent and the second advent. We are those people who are waiting, waiting and hoping, knowing that the goodness of God will prevail. So as people of hope, we need to make sure we understand what hope is, according to the Christian faith. For a lot of people in our world, when they reference hope, they really are simply talking about wishful thinking. And hope is far, far more than wishful thinking for those of us in the Christian community. When I think about wishful thinking, I think about what that young boy famously said when he said that hoping is wishing for something that you know ain't going to happen. That's wishful thinking. In the Christian faith, we are clear that hope is something very different from wishful thinking. I think I'm basically an optimistic person, but I'm also very clear that in the Christian faith, hope is something different from optimism. Hope is very specifically defined in the Bible. Hope is confidence in God. Hope is confidence in the character of God. Hope is confidence in who God is. 
we have this confidence in God, and that's why for us, hope is not just a feeling or an emotion. Hope is a way of thinking for us. Hope is a way of viewing the world around us. Hope is the lens through which we view the circumstances of life. We need to be very clear to the world around us what we mean by hope. It's not just a Pollyannish optimism. It's not simply wishful thinking. Hope is only as good as its object. Some people hope in themselves. Some people hope in their own abilities to get them out of any hard spot in life. Some people hope in their finances. Some people hope in the political realm. But for us, hope is something very specific. We understand that hope is only as good as the object upon which that hope is focused. And that's why for us, hope is confidence in God. Have you ever thought about the question, is there anything that God cannot do? Well, theologically, the answer to that question is yes. We declared that for a couple thousand years now. There are some things that God cannot do because God in God's power, in God's sovereignty, has chosen to limit himself in certain ways. So yes, there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot do evil. God cannot deny himself his character. God cannot lie. And because God cannot lie, we can have confidence in God. For us in the Christian community, when we speak about having confidence in God, that confidence is tied to Scripture because it's Scripture that teaches us the character of God. And it's also Scripture that teaches us the very promises of God. I've never counted, but I've read for years that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And I hope that you understand, I hope that you know this morning, friends, that not one word of God's promise has ever failed you or will ever fail you. That's why we have confidence in God. We have confidence in the God that we see revealed in Scripture. We have confidence in the promises that are revealed to us, that are promises coming to us from God. So when I hope that you are a hopeful person, I'm meaning something very, very specific. In the second chapter of Isaiah... We see, we hear the prophet speaking about a time in his future that was a long way off. It's not as far off from our future as it was from Isaiah's future. In Isaiah chapter 2, you heard the text. It's a text that is hope-filled. It is a text that looks to the future. It is a text where God, again, is painting a picture for us of some of God's hope-filled promises. When you look at the prophet Isaiah, you're looking at a prophet that was, that was ministering in an age where many of the people in Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judah had adopted the gods of 
the other people. They, have ado they had adopted the gods of the pagans around them. They had adopted the gods of the other nations. And that was distressing to Isaiah and prophets like Isaiah that the people there in Judah and Jerusalem were adopting the gods, little g, of the other nations. But what we have here in Isaiah chapter 2, the beginning verses, is we see that Isaiah says that there's coming a time, there's coming a day, when all of the nations, all of the other peoples, will adopt the God of Israel. Did you hear what he said? In the days to come, probably a better way to translate that in verse 2, is in the latter days. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. We know what mountain of which he speaks. He's talking about Mount Moriah. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem there atop Mount Moriah. And then Isaiah says, all the nations shall stream to it. Isaiah is visioning a, an age when all the peoples of the earth will stream toward Jerusalem and reverence Jerusalem as the center of history. Some of that's already happening in our age. Many of you have been with me to the Holy Land. You've been with me to Jerusalem. I remember how in one of my first visits to Jerusalem, I was standing there looking at the hundreds and hundreds of people that were gathered at the Western Wall, that holiest spot in Judaism today, they were gathered at the Western Wall and they were praying. And as I was watching those multitudes pray, uh, a young Israelite came up to me and I remember he said to me, have you noticed how many nationalities are represented in all of these people praying there at the Western Wall in Jerusalem? And he certainly was right. Some of you people here in this room are living fulfillments of this prophecy that the nations shall stream to Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see that the nations are streaming to Jerusalem. But nothing like what will happen one day when all of the nations shall stream to Jerusalem. That's the day that Isaiah is envisioning. He goes on to say, verse 3, many peoples shall come to Jerusalem and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I'm sure that the people of, of Ukraine are yearning for this day, for that day. We're in an age now where sometimes war is a necessary evil to combat other evil. But there's coming a day, there's coming a day when they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and neither nation shall learn, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. 
We are very specific what we mean by hope in the Christian, Christian tradition. We're very specific what we mean by hope. When we look at a text like this, if we weren't Christians, we would look at something like that and we'd say that is almost unbelievable. But because of our radical confidence in God, our radical assurance surrounding the promises of God, we can look at something like this and we shall say it is believable because of who our God is. And it is our God, the one who cannot deny himself, the one who cannot lie, who has made this promise for us. The New Testament book of Hebrews has an interesting phrase concerning hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, the author says, We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I hope you have this hope, because this is your stability. This is our stability and security in the midst of the storms. It is this hope that latches us to the promises of God. Church, may I, may I be rather blunt with you. If you are without Jesus Christ in this world today, you are, as the old song says, lost and undone without hope. But if you know Jesus Christ and have enshrined, enthroned Jesus Christ in your life, you have an audacious hope that the world around us cannot see nor believe. If you have received Jesus Christ into your life, and you have to receive Jesus on Jesus' terms, it can't just be a Jesus of our own making, but if you have received Jesus into your life, you have a hope that will get you through life in this world and will take you into the joy of the world to come. Would you pray with me? God, if there's anyone in this sanctuary today that only has a relationship with your church, but not with you, I pray that will change through the work of your Holy Spirit. We love your church. We know it's your, the body of Christ. We know it's the bride of Christ. But Lord, may we, never cease, may we never seek to be related to your church without being grafted onto your body through the work of your Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that we will welcome, receive, enthrone Jesus in our lives. And we know, God, that by doing that, we find a hope far beyond anything this world can imagine. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.